Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Dave, for, man, just reminding us, man, life is full of stuff going the way we don't think it should, right? You know, this morning is just a fresh reminder to be grateful in those moments, you know, because if you didn't plan for it, you didn't ask for it, you didn't even want it, but it happened anyway, I'd say the Lord's somewhere in there. He's probably up to something. And I just ask that God would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to see those microscopic movements of God that we see as an inconvenience or as bad timing as the actual presence of the king who is disrupting our regularly scheduled programming of life because he's got something he wants to do or say or give us a different experience of him. Don't miss it because we're so focused on thinking that it should have been a certain way or in different timing or whatever and totally miss the very presence of the king walking through your story. I bet he's all up in some of y'all's business, and I hope that he makes that clear to you today for sure. Um, if you got your Bible, slip on over to Acts chapter 15 as we continue a conversation. We started last week. I really wasn't planning on making this a two-part, one-chapter thing. We've been doing kind of a flyover of the book of Acts. We've been going section by section. We've hit most chapters, several chapters. We've hit several sections. Um, but the point is we want to see the big picture of the book of Acts and how people ignited by and indwelt by the Holy Spirit were used to do some extraordinary things for the kingdom of God and essentially sent out into the mission of the gospel in the world so that even people that you wouldn't have expected would come to know Jesus and join this kingdom movement, a kingdom movement empowered by the Holy Spirit that started back then a couple thousand years ago and is still just as alive today that we have stepped into the story and we are a part of now. And so I hope that you're picking up like some truths for your life and I hope that God is shaping you and your kingdom mission calling if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I want you to know you're welcome here. This is a safe place for you to not be sure about what I'm saying. My goal today is not to try to arm twist you and agree with me. I'm just glad that you took the time to come and be here with us and wrestle through the word of God with us so that your life too might be transformed by a relationship with Jesus. But I'm gonna leave that up to him. I'm not persuasive enough to convince you to totally turn your life around and run hard and fast after the king. But I know that he can, and that is our prayer, because we want you to experience the same peace and freedom and joy that we have in the Lord. And we're going to be wrestling through some of that stuff this morning, actually a pretty difficult conversation that's kind of dovetails right off of what we talked about last week um, in Acts chapter 15. Before we get there, what's up to the online people? If you're watching on Facebook, share it. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. If you're listening to this on a podcast later in the week, please also share it with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we're glad that you're here. Um, and I hope that you worship the Lord just as well on your couch, even without uh, the sound system being up and running like it should. But we're back to Acts chapter 15. The reason why uh, I was talking to Pastor Cam about it this week, and he suggested, he said, man, he says, let's not move on to 16 yet. We need to go back into the end of 15 because that kind of helps round out the conversation that we had last week. And, and I, he's right. He's so right. I'm glad he said it. So we didn't just move past this because 
Here's where we were at the beginning of Acts chapter 15 last week. The first church argument broke out in the first century church, and it was over like a very central issue that you just can't avoid. Like you've got to wrestle through this and come to some sort of biblical, spiritual, uh, 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 what am I looking for? Shoot. Answer. That's probably, I could probably go with that. Um, to land on when it comes to this issue because like it's about salvation. Here was the problem in the first century church. Like you've got a bunch of Jewish people that had experienced the power of God through Jesus and now had decided to follow Jesus. They were, but they still considered themselves Jews who followed Jesus. Like that was the natural next step in their walk with God. Because remember, since Abraham, like in all the prophets since, God had said one day he's going to send a Messiah, and he had promised the Jewish people, I'm going to send a rescuer, a Messiah, um, and on his shoulders would be the government, and the end of his reign in peace would be no end. Like, he's coming one day, so when Jesus arrived, the Jews that believed that he was the Messiah, they believed that following him was just the next right step in their Jewish faith, which was all well and good until these Gentile people started getting saved. Now, just so we can be clear on who the Gentiles were. How many of you grew up in a Jewish home and at some point in your life, you decided, you know what, I'm gonna follow Jesus and you consider yourself either a messianic or a completed Jew, all right? How many in the house this morning, all right? I can't see you raise your hand online. I don't see any hands in here right now. That's pretty close to what I thought. We do have a few messianic Jews in our church family. Most of us are not messianic Jews. That would mean that we are Gentiles, yeah. Yes, oftentimes when you see Gentiles referred to or Greeks referred to in the scripture, they basically were just talking about the people outside of the Jewish faith, which was you and me. Now, everything was all well and good with the Jews now that they had, many of them had chose to follow Jesus, but then when they started hearing people like you and me were now following Jesus, there was a bit of a problem there. Not because they didn't want us to follow Jesus, but because we just concluded as Gentiles, well, I'm going to forsake all my pagan gods and I'm going to follow and worship Jesus and that's that. The Jews couldn't stand that and they didn't believe that that was right and accurate because they believed how can you as a Gentile follow the Jewish Messiah without becoming Jewish first? Surely you too have to go through all of the law of Moses, keep the law of Moses, go through the ceremonial cleansing to be a follower of Jesus you got to be one of us. Now, this was a big debate. And so the elders of the first century church had to gather together with the apostles in Jerusalem to hash this bad boy out because this was about salvation. They wanted to know, like, how can we know for sure someone is saved? And half of them said, well, you got to keep the law of Moses and follow Jesus. And then Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James stood up in that council meeting. And Peter basically, in summary, said these words. Now, therefore, why are we putting a yoke? Why are we putting God to the test and putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe, listen, Grace Bible, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Period, signed, sealed, delivered. Believe it or not, the whole council and the elders got on board with that. They recognized then, the Holy Spirit so convicted them then, like that this is, that's right. It is, by the grace of Jesus Christ and his words and work, his work on the cross, his resurrection, and our faith and trust in that and in him alone, like, that's it. Like, th that is 
the doorway to salvation. Confess, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved, period. Ephesians chapter two says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by works, even Christian-y works, period, so that no one can boast. This was hard to grapple for them, but thank God through the power of the Holy Spirit, they came to this resolution, this understanding, like that this was it. It was Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We had that conversation last week. We celebrated that as a church family, but I'm going to just take a wild guess that Jesus plus nothing equals everything for us, equals our salvation. I bet that while There are many that wanted to believe that. I bet you that there are some amongst us, many amongst us, that because we've grown up in a culture, we've grown up, some of us have grown up in church culture for decades of our life, and it was never just Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It was Jesus plus walking the aisle, praying the prayer, getting dunked in the water, and acting like a really good boy. That's what gets you saved, right? We had a long list of things that fill in the blank, Jesus plus all these things. We talked about a bunch of that stuff last week, and I bet that while that was disorienting for many, I bet it was also offensive to some. And I told you last week, like the goal was not to be offensive. The goal was to set you free. I want you to see what the Word of God said about salvation and to understand like that Jesus paid it all. He canceled the debt of the written code that stood against us, Colossians chapter 2. In a one-time transaction, his death on the cross and that blood poured out for us, paid once and for all, for all time, the debt of sin that stood between us and God to whosoever would believe in him and in his work. It sounds too simple. This is why 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, foolishness because it's just, man, it's too good to be true. I can't possibly believe that. We want to believe that it's that true and it's that real. And I'm here to remind you that the word of God affirms over and over. Christian history affirms over and over. The millions of lives changed throughout history affirms over and over that this truly is the words and work of Jesus done on our behalf to whosoever would believe in him. You can be set free from the penalty of sin and stand before God once and for all, made right before God in your life upon the moment of confessing him as Lord and King. That's good news. That's good news. But... Much like the elders of the first century church, we still feel a sense of like, but yeah, but like, so does that mean like because we have freedom in Christ and what he's done that we're just kind of like, well, now you can just, you know, do whatever you want to do. You know what I'm saying? You got your insurance, you're good, you believe it, and then we can just go on and, you know, do our own thing. You know what I'm saying? Like to each his own, right? That's part of what we're gonna talk about today. That was an issue they had to grapple with back then, and it's an issue we still grapple with right now. But before we move to that, just to recap what we discussed last week, the danger of legalism, landing over here, Jesus plus fill in the blank, and there may be fill in the blanks for you, which the Bible doesn't teach us that, but Jesus plus fill in the blank is what we call legalism, and it's dangerous for two reasons. Reason number one, It makes people feel guilty who shouldn't feel guilty. 
All right, reason number one. Reason number two, the most dangerous of the two, is that it makes people feel okay that should not feel okay. That's the danger of legalism. But let's be honest, the first century elders as well as the 21st century, like, committed to Jesus followers of this day and age, like, we, we know and we recognize, like, the, the only toxic opposition to a right and good relationship with Jesus isn't legalism. Though it is a problem, it's not the only thing that's toxic to a right and good relationship with Jesus. There's actually another evil twin brother of legalism that's all the way over on this side of the conversation that's equally as toxic to a right and good relationship with Jesus, and it's called liberalism. Now, before we get all our feelings hurt about me making fun of your politics, this ain't a talk about politics. I'm not talking about liberal politics. I'm talking about liberal morality and a liberal understanding and a very loose hold, just this kind of loosey-goosey hold on the translation and understanding of the Word of God, liberalism. Just this kind of untethered freedom to what is right and good and true and the word of God. And yes, liberalism can find its way into our politics. It can find its way into our families. It can find its way into our homes and the way we run our businesses, the way we conduct ourselves personally. But this can be a dangerous place to be. This untethered, unchecked rebellion to each his own kind of way of thinking and believing. And that is not walking faithfully and understanding rightly the grace of God and the work that he has done on our behalf. So this is what the elders said. They sent out a letter to let Gentiles like you and me know what's going on, what they had decided. And this is what they said. Verse 28 and 29 of Acts chapter 15, it says, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So they confirmed that like, we know that the Holy Spirit has given us this word because we as the elders and the apostles, we have a unified belief that like, this is the spirit of God. It's affirmed by his word. It's affirmed by the power of his Holy Spirit. And it's also affirmed by the unity of the group. And this is what they said. It seemed good for us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you, here's the requirements. You won't be able to totally connect with all these because this was mainly for them, but don't worry, we'll do the work of translating it into our culture. Lay no greater burden on you than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. So basically it was cheaper to buy your ribeye steaks outside of a pagan temple after they had sacrificed, you'd get cheap meat. So he's saying, don't eat that stuff. And he says, abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols. Abstain from like the drinking of blood or the eating of blood. Doesn't mean you can't have a rare steak, by the way. Um, it's, again, it's so cultural. Like we could spend time piecing this out, but it really it w- wouldn't be worth the time this morning. We need to talk about how this applies to us. And from also abstain from what's been strangled. You know, don't eat meat that has just been strangled, not properly processed. And then abstain, last but not least, from this very important thing. We can relate to this. Say those two words. Pretty good. The 8 o'clock service, like, didn't even respond. When I said say those two words, they were like, I said, okay, I'll say it for you. Yeah. Sexual immorality. Now, some of the, all, all of these four things were very cultural, were very specific to the way they would have worshipped idols in their pagan culture that obviously doesn't 
mean that like these are suggestions or doesn't mean that these don't, like sexual immorality, for example, has a direct tie into our culture, even though we're not buying our meat outside of pagan temples so we can get a 50% discount. There's two reasons why the elders gave these Gentiles, you and I, like, okay, you are saved through faith alone by the grace of Jesus Christ and his work alone, period. But there's also some other things you need to know and understand. And that's why they told them these four things, four just basic foundational things in their culture for them to know and understand. This was so important, like for a couple of reasons, like understand that these Gentiles that were hearing this is, this would have been new news and this would have been important news because they had grown up their whole lives in in a pagan saturated culture. They, they had, they had, were under the risk of believing that, well, I can just add Jesus to my immoral life, plain and simple. But like, let me remind you, like following Jesus is not just simply adding him to our immoral lives. And they needed to be reminded of this because they weren't coming from an environment that was going to tell them that at all. They were coming from an environment in a pagan culture, totally saturated in pagan ideology that was a lot like this. Like every movie they watched, every evening news show that they listened to, every book that they read, every magazine that they saw, and the grocery store aisle, most of the conversations that they had, most of the music that they listened to, like was totally saturated in these pagan ideologies that was essentially affirming for them, like, hey, you believe what you want to believe. There's a lot of gods, a lot of options. Just do what, do what you do, you know what I'm saying? If you feel strongly enough about it, don't let anybody tell you that you're wrong. They're the ones that are wrong. You can express yourself however you want to. doesn't matter. To each his own. Don't let anybody try to redirect your life or tell you that you're wrong because, like, your truth is your truth. And my truth is my truth. And when it comes to sex, I mean, express yourself however you feel you should. Remember, your truth is your truth. Don't let anybody else try to cram their ideologies down your throat. That was the pagan world that they lived in. That's all they knew. They were saturated by it. Their children were saturated by it. And there was no way to get away from it because that was the sermon of the world that they were living in. Sound familiar? And so the elder said, yes, salvation comes through Christ alone, by his grace alone, through your faith alone. Like there's nothing that you've done to earn this. There's nothing that you could do to attain it beyond believing and trusting in him. But like there's more to the story than just the freedom that grace gives us. There's more to the story than just the salvation story. There's some things in our culture that don't look anything like Jesus. And it may be hard to identify what they are because you're coming up through a pagan culture and this is all we know. And so it was right and good for the elders to say like, Here, here's four like basic foundational things that are like way off the radar from walking faithfully in your relationship with Jesus and, and here's what they are. The Gentiles needed to know this because the temptation to just add Jesus to our immoral lives is a reality that many of us have faced or maybe are facing. But just know like, Jesus is not a side dish to your story. Choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to surrender your life to the King of glory, 
doesn't leave enough space for him to submit himself to our feelings and our whims. He is the king of all kings. And there is coming a day, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord, which means his ways were right all along. And everybody's going to make that confession. But now the real temptation for those Gentiles in the first century and quite honestly for the Gentiles in the 21st century is Jesus sounds like a good idea. So let me just sprinkle some of that on top of my immoral life. And he's going to get on board with what I like because he wants me to be happy, right? I mean, the Bible says God wants us to be happy somewhere. Hadn't found that one yet. No, God's love for you is so rich and so deep and so wide and so high that just like a good daddy should, he's so much more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. And he knows that the only way you're going to really find happiness and joy is when you find it in Christ Jesus. When you allow him to be the satisfier of your soul, where you don't need Jesus as an additional side dish to our pagan lives, but we submit our pagan lives to him and his glory, and we totally live a life that has been saturated by him. That's when real peace happens. That's when real joy and contentment happens. And we need to be reminded of that. The, Paul goes on to remind the Gentiles who were now following Jesus, he goes on to remind them in, in books like Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, who needed to be reminded, like, yes, you have freedom in Christ because of the grace that you've been given through him, but this is not a freedom that sets us free to just live however we want to live. No, like, something about that freedom drives us back towards him. And he says it like this in Galatians 5, 1, he says, it is for the sake of freedom that Christ has set us free. This is why he did it. So let us not go back, therefore, and be so easily entangled again by the yoke of bondage. If we haven't noticed yet, and I'm sure the Gentiles are wrestling through the same thing, that like all these pagan things in their life that were satisfying to them at times, it was short term and it was shallow. And the only way to be like deeply satisfied from top to bottom, totally content and satisfied is for the spirit of the living God to have his way in us to have his way in us. And we're not resisting trying to hang on to Jesus while we hang on to our godlessness. But when we surrender to Jesus, we hand him the keys of all the areas of our life and say, make of my life what you will because I am yours and I've always been. The Gentiles needed reminded that at that time and Gentiles this day and age need to be reminded of that too, don't we? Apostle Paul even goes on to say, because one of the things we wrestle with when we talk about like pushing back against legalism, like, all right, it's not Jesus plus something else. His grace is sufficient alone. He alone is enough. Jesus doesn't need a supporting act to help him save us. It's just Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Legalism is a toxic enemy of the grace of God. But then that leaves us like with the question, well, then if, if like the rules and the laws and like all of the Christian tradition is like in the way of our right understanding of who Jesus is, like, then doesn't that like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean like we can just like, because of Jesus and his grace, like we just go on sinning and, you know, maybe one day when we get older, we'll not want to sin like that anymore. I don't know. What does it mean? Like they were wrestling with some of the same stuff. And here's what the apostle Paul told to the Romans who were asking that question, he says in Romans chapter six, verse one through four, he said, he asked the question that we ask. 
Well, what shall we say then? Um, Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who are followers of Jesus, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? Now, I know that sounds mystical, but hang on. We were baptized into his death and we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, don't miss this, all this happened in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Say newness. Say newness like you mean it. Because of what Jesus has done, this is a picture of the gospel work that's happening in you. Like his death Counted as your death. His resurrection counted as your resurrection. He was given new life so that we might be given new life as well. Not a life that's so easily entangled again by the yoke of bondage, the sinful patterns and habits and behaviors that just like seem to be hanging on to us. Not a freedom to go back to that, but a freedom to move forward into the grace of God. A freedom to be able to walk in this newness of life. And yes, it's going to be imperfect. (laughs) I told y'all last week, like, I've seen so many, like, you know, video documentaries of people that have really cool testimonies, and they always pick the guy that has the craziest story. Like, the night before he got saved, you know, he was doing all kinds of craziness, and then the Holy Spirit stepped into his life, and then it was like just this radical turnaround, and he's all brand new, and he looks new, and he smells new, and it's like, dang, that didn't happen to me. So what's wrong with me? I'm reminded like through my life, through your lives, through as we see even the apostles like Peter just kind of wrestle through that struggle where sin keeps on just rapping at the door of his life. Like I'm reminded that the work of Jesus is an ongoing process of transforming us. We need to start, the starting place though is us acknowledging that there is sin in my life. There's some stuff that's sin in my life that I don't want to admit is sin that I personally don't even feel convicted about because I got enough other Christian people around me that say it's okay and I've just kind of resigned myself to it being okay. We need to come to a place where even we submit all of that stuff to him and say, you're the one and your word, Father, is what determines what is right and good and true and godly and what is okay. And your ways are better than mine and your ways are higher than mine. So like, here is my life. Transform my life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Shape me into the image of Christ Jesus, just as he promised that he would do. And I want to let you know, for those of you that do believe in Jesus as Lord, and yet you're still struggling with, as as Paul Tripp refers it, as remaining sin in your life. I want to remind you like that Jesus is way more committed. The Holy Spirit of God that lives within you is way more committed to transforming your life than you could ever be. So trust me, you just keep clinging to the vine. You just keep running back to the feet of the Father. You just keep laying those burdens down before him. And I want you to know that the vine is going to produce the fruit through the branch, through your life. He's going to do the transforming work. Your job is cling to the vine, John 15. He's the fruit producer. You're the fruit displayer. You got one job, cling to the vine. Cling to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Let his ideologies be your ideologies. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it rubs against the cultural narrative of the day, cling to the vine and let him transform your life. Now this, just to make sure that this doesn't sound like 
a whole bunch of Jesus plus good behavior equals salvation. Let me just be clear. That's not what I'm saying by any stretch. What I am saying is what we see all throughout the word of God is that when the spirit of the living God comes to live inside of you, when you give your life to him and the spirit of God takes up residence in your heart, your flesh might feel comfortable in those places, but the spirit of God inside of you is not comfortable in those places and you can tell. You start to feel a sense of, we call this word conviction. Your flesh might feel comfortable doing those things, saying those things, acting that way. Because remember, you're a work in progress. You weren't like the guy we saw on the cool videos, you know? You're like me, you're a work in progress. Like my flesh might feel comfortable in those places, doing those things. But man, there's something deep inside of me that is like totally at unrest. That's the spirit of God within us who is calling us back to the vine. That is calling us back to him that we might see clearly like that, man, this, this is not what I have for you. This isn't the life of Christ being displayed through you, man. This is your old flesh flapping. Old habits die hard. When the Spirit keeps calling us back over and over again, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman most of the time. He gives us grace, space for that transformation, space for that Romans, Romans 12, that renewing and transforming of our mind. Thank God he does. So that was one reason why the Gentiles needed to know that it's not Jesus plus anything, but because of our life in Christ, there's going to be some things in our life that we're going to gravitate away from because we're going to be running towards the Lord. That was the first reason why um, they needed to know. Man, you don't add Jesus to your idolatrous, pagan, wicked lifestyles. But the second reason why is like, and this is... um, this is uh, this one might be a little harder to grapple with because it's going to require a little soul searching on a different level for us. Second reason why they were telling them these things is because as a follower of Jesus, we're going to be called to set aside our freedoms at times for the sake of unity in the body of Jesus. Hang on there for a second. Imagine being Gentile and showing up to church one Sunday morning. And there was a big debate that was happening very publicly about either you get saved by the grace of Jesus Christ alone and faith in him, or you get saved through following Jesus and keeping the 633 laws of Moses. That's the debate. You went home that night not sure where the elders were going to land on that one. You want to talk about a church split on the horizon? This is a big deal a big salvation issue. And so when you heard from Jerusalem by one of these letters getting delivered to your church in your town that, man, as a Gentile, man, you don't have to keep the law of Moses. Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it so that you don't have to. Your salvation comes through Christ alone and by his grace and your belief, your right view and belief of him as the king of glory, like that's how you get saved. You don't have to become Jewish in order to become Christian, thank God. That would have been good news to the Gentiles. Sounds like good news to me. How much time would I have to spend in my sermons rolling out all the laws to remind y'all what all the laws are every week? 
Man, we, we would be so wrapped up in trying to work for the grace of God that we would miss getting the opportunity to work from the grace of God. And it would have been such good news as a Gentile to hear that I don't have to become Jewish, especially for you fellas, if y'all know what I'm saying. Mm. Some of y'all getting that. But it's like, that would have been such good news, that temptation to kind of like, all right, I got my Jesus now, to drift back into my pagan way of living and to kind of exercise all these freedoms that I have now because I don't have to keep up with this unachievable law. This was a reminder to them that like in Christ, as a part of the family of God, that we're going to be called to lay down our freedoms from time to time for the sake of the unity of the body. These things, obviously sexual immorality was not a freedom. Um, that was one of, like I said, it's the bottom of the list, bare minimum of like these four things are a good starting place, guys. Start with that. These other things could have been freedoms. Um, and they just wanted them to know like, hey, if we're going to really work, imagine like if we're going to work hard to have a unified body of Christ, just like Jesus prayed for in John 17, that Jews that are saved and Gentiles that are saved, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek nor Scythian nor slave nor free. Jesus has kicked down the walls of hostility. We're going to be one body of many parts that meet in multiple locations around the world. That means they were going to have to do the hard work of getting along. Knowing that some of the Gentile freedom, some of the areas that they had freedom in Christ to do certain things, it was going to be grossly offensive to their Jewish brothers and sisters who were raised totally differently. And so they give them these four rules basically to start here, like make this the bare minimum of the first things you're going to submit to the Lordship of Jesus for the sake of unity so that we can have unity in the body. Lay down your freedoms for the sake of the bigger, better, more important thing. Now, we know how this works. We know how this works perfectly in our culture. Um, we have some of these same tensions that we can't seem to agree on for the same reasons. So should Christians drink alcohol? Um, like should Christians listen to secular music? Uh, what about... Should Christians, like, should they watch rated R movies, wear flip-flops to church? Man, should Christians let their kids participate in Halloween? This is exactly the tension they were feeling. One side was saying, heck no. And the other side was saying, why not? As I rattled off just a few of our little cultural discrepancies that we have within the body, every one of you, at least most of you, made a quick and instantaneous judgment. Some even said as much or had a nod of your head or a shaking of your head. Like you made a quick and instantaneous judgment as to whether or not it's okay for a Christian girl to wear a two-piece bathing suit at the beach. Or kids to be in Halloween. Or Christians to drink alcohol. Or flip-flops in church. You made a quick and instantaneous judgment based upon your upbringing, the cultural narrative that you've come from. And real quickly, you decided whether it was right or whether it was wrong or whether you were indifferent 
about Christians doing those kind of things. Now, this may come as news. And this is the best part of the conversation right here. I love when I can feel the tension in the room. Love it. Much like what the Gentiles were experiencing with their Jewish brothers and sisters, a lot of the things that I just rattled off there, and I chose those for a purpose, is because we debate those a lot in Christian culture, but the Bible makes no prohibition either way for those things. What the Bible does give us is the same thing that the elders were giving the Gentiles is bumpers. We don't live untethered lives of unchecked rebellion and pretend like we're faithfully following Jesus. But yet when we are in Christ Jesus, we also don't have to ascribe to to a list of laws that have been laid on us by generations of man-made rules. Like there is a tension, there is a space of, of grace tension that is right here in between the two. The followers of Jesus have had to navigate, are still having to navigate, and still trying to find their way through of like, how do, I, how do I walk within these freedoms without going too far? Or what freedoms are available to me without like dishonoring God? Like, and there's this space of grace where we want like a hard and fast line right down the middle saying, all right, this is it. But I think for his own glory and for our good, he left a space of graceful tension for us that we were going to have to seek the Lord and seek the Holy Spirit and the counsel of godly people to know how to navigate these within our specific context. And the Word of God actually gives us a way to conduct ourselves even within our Christian freedoms that we so easily wrestle over and split churches over and debate about. And here's what the Apostle Paul tells these people of Rome of how they are to handle those specific issues Obviously, their issues were a little different than ours, but here's what he says. Let me take you to Romans chapter 14. We'll just start in verse 12. We're jumping in the middle of the conversation. It's a good place to start. Again, I'm jumping in the middle. If you want the full context, you're going to have to read the whole thing for yourself this afternoon. He says, so then, verse 12 of chapter 14 of Romans, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's probably a pretty good place to start as you're considering your freedoms and weighing them out against grace and the law, and like, where do we land? He says, well, start here. Um, Each of us is going to give an account of himself to God. Let me tell you, like, when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to be discussing our feelings or our personal convictions. When we get to give an account of the Lord, like, this is, was my life set apart to honor and glorify the King? Or did I have these whole categories over here that I meant for glorifying myself? Each of us will give an account of himself to God. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block, say stumbling block, or hindrance, say hindrance, in the way of another brother or sister in Christ. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Now, let me be clear here. Paul's not talking about like uh, relative morality. He's not talking about to each his own or you get to pick your own truth. He's speaking in context of what he's talking about. 
They were debating on, well, should Christians be able to drink that or eat that or what day is holier in the week or on the annual calendar? Like, should Christians observe or not observe certain days of the year? He's talking specifically about those issues, some of which are still an issue in our culture. And he's saying nothing in itself is unclean. We can certainly make it unclean, can't we? It in and of itself is not unclean. And he says, anyone who, he says, for, and this is the, this is the kind of the hammering point right here. For if your brother is grieved by what you are eating or what you are drinking or what you are doing, then you are no longer walking in love. Don't miss this. If your brother is grieved by what you are eating, you are no longer walking in love, but what you eat by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't let your Christian freedoms become detrimental to somebody else's walk with Christ. Man, we could go down the list there, but I'll let the Spirit tell y'all which is which. So don't let what you regard as good to be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking and everything else we talked about, but it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He just gave us a priority list right there. And our Christian freedoms are not at the top of the list. His righteousness, peace, and joy, and his Holy Spirit, that's at the top of the list. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We want to build up one another. Jump down to chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You get the point? You get what he's trying to get at? There are some rooms, room within your wall with Christ that there is kind of this space of Christian freedoms. And there's some really like ones that people like to debate about. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, when I'm around this group of people, when I have those people in my home, when we go to those people's home, when I'm hosting this kind of event or attending that kind of event, when I'm around others, is this Christian freedom right and good and necessary for building them up? Or is it tearing them down? Because they have a different kind of conviction about that particular thing. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. The question is, those of you who are walking in those freedoms, are you walking in those freedoms to the point of the detriment of somebody else? Have you taken on the attitude of saying, ah, man, you need to fix your convictions. Read the word of God. You ain't gonna find nothing in the word of God that says anything about me not being able to do that. So I'm gonna keep on doing that. You need to get on board with me. I want you to notice in Acts 15 and over here in Romans 14 and 15, it never calls the person of greater conviction to lay down their convictions. It calls the person who truly believes that they can honor God with walking in this particular freedom to lay down their freedom. Oh, we don't like to hear that. We'd rather let people know how they're wrong and they don't know the word of God and you need to listen to this sermon. That'll fix you. What Paul is telling us, like if we let our freedoms become a higher priority than building up the unity of the body and serving another brother and sister, then that freedom has just become sin. And it's that simple.
This is not a call for us to be wildly untethered, immoral people because of the grace of God, nor is it a call for us to become so legalistic because we try to build walls around all of our good behavior so we don't mess it up. This is a call of the word of God to exist in a space of tension. The grace of God being displayed through Jesus and working itself out in our lives by submitting to his word, submitting to his will, submitting to the work of the spirit in us. And I know that that probably leaves a lot of questions because I can't give you, all right, well, here's the six steps. I know that it's hard to have a conversation like this in a monologue because it's just me talking as questions may swirl around your head like, well, what about this? And how about this scenario? And should Christians do that? That's why we want to invite you back on Wednesday night. This is the kind of conversation that monologue can't deal well with. It's going to need dialogue. So Pastor Cam and I, we're going we're gonna to be sitting right here on Wednesday night. We're going to open up the word. We're not going to be preaching a sermon. We're going to be having a discussion, and we're going to take questions and feedback and concerns, and I'm not sure about this, and what does the Bible say about that? And we're going to wrestle through it as a church family. For those that have kind of some really weighty things on you, you're trying to figure out what your godly options are in this certain scenario of your life. Let's talk about that together. As a matter of fact, to give you an opportunity, because if there's a, there may be 20 people here, there may be 200 people here, I don't know, but just in case you don't feel comfortable asking your question in front of a crowd of people, or maybe it's firing off in your head right now and you need to go ahead and get it jotted down, here's a way for you to do that. Um, if you have a smartphone, this is a good a way for you to text um, to this number. Text to 863-456-1262. This is not a... Um, None of our cell phone numbers, it's just kind of this database we have. You text to that the word grace. And once you do, you're going to get a form sent back to you, a little link you can click. And on that form, you'll have an opportunity to say like, yeah, well, what about this? How do, what are the godly options for this scenario? Um, how do we wrestle through the tension of grace in this particular area uh, of my life? Like, you go ahead and send that to us. That gives me and Cam a chance to prepare um, certainly feel free to bring those conversations and questions on Wednesday night as well. Um, but we're going to step in the hot seat and we're going to do our best to just ask the Holy Spirit to kind of show us where the good and godly options are in these variety of scenarios of our life. So we'll see you on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Text that to us if you'd like to go ahead and fire a question away now. Or if you think your question might be difficult enough that it would serve us well to be able to prepare for it, we'd appreciate that as well. Um, and let's pray. Let me pray for y'all, for us. Father, I thank you for your word. And I know that you are perfectly clear on all things. I know that you know just what you have for your people, what you desire of us, what you long to create us into as your people, as you shape us through the life and into the life of Jesus. And Lord, I just I pray that you would show us as your people what biblical and godly freedoms we have available to us. Lord, we can honor you through those freedoms, but I pray that you would show us the ways that we are actually using them as a detriment to others around us, Father. And I pray that we would repent. I pray that we would set those things aside as an act of worship to you. And Lord, that you would be honored in our lives in every way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.